if that was for Right Now Media for me, but either way, it's good to uh, put our hands together that we're in God's house this morning. And church, it's, it's really good to be together with you. If, if you're new to Grace, I haven't had the opportunity to meet you before. My name's Tim. I'm one of the, the pastors here. And I feel like I've been saying this as I kick off every time I'm preaching recently, but it's just on my mind, on my heart. Every time we step up here, uh, I, I'm just so grateful for this church. If you are new, I just want to let you know you've, you've found a great group of people to do life with. We are so blessed by each other and the commitment that everyone brings to just loving each other and building up God's church and showing each other grace. And so I just want to say thank you, uh, even before we begin today's passage, of just how blessed I feel to be part of a group of people following Jesus like this. It's not common that we experience community like this. And so just, just thank you. I think we should put our hands together for that. Let's put our hands up for that. Well, this morning we are continuing our series, Jesus One-on-One, and uh, we are looking at different encounters that Jesus had in the New Testament, in the Gospels, where, where he was pulled into these unique situations with a one-on-one moment with someone. And this is a pretty, he has this one-on-one moment today with this woman who's being accused of adultery, but it happens before a crowd and with a bunch of religious leaders, and, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. And so I want to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 8. We're actually going to read the last verse of the chapter before that, but I invite you to turn there, John chapter 8. And uh, as always, I, I have a question before we begin to open these words and read them. And, and here's my question for you today, church. Have you ever messed up? Have you ever blown it and you knew that you blew it? Whether it was a lie or, or you cheated or you stole or, or, or you forgot something really, really important. Um, but have you, have you ever been in that situation where, where you messed up? I think that's a question that we, we all relate to. All of us relate to the idea of that because it's, it's part of our shared experience. All of us at one time or another have felt ourselves feeling the weight of knowing that we blew it. And so what, what we're going to see today is someone that's messed up and people are accusing this person. And, and, the, and in, in doing so, their, their real goal is to try to debunk Jesus. They're trying to trap Jesus to prove that everything that he had been saying and teaching was a lie. And so I want to invite with you, go ahead and turn with me there, John chapter 8, and, uh, and we're going to begin to read this, this passage together. And, and I do want to say as we read it, as always, so grateful for all the other pastors and authors that write and, and help us to get understanding and, and know that every time we stand up here, not only is a pastor studying uh, the word throughout the week, but we're also listening and studying with others. And so uh, just so thankful for others' words that I share with you today. So John, at the very end of chapter 7, we verse 53, it says... They went each to his own house, and then verse 1 in chapter 8. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placed her in the midst. They said to him, Teacher, 
this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, of which we're experts, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They said this to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. So Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. So I want to enter into this scene to imagine this conversation and what it looked like that we just, we just read that was recorded for us. What we know is if the night before, the day before, there was a huge festival happening. There was this huge festival called the Feast of Booths, and people were gathered from all over the place. And the day before, Jesus had been teaching in the temple. And people were questioning, is this Jesus, the Messiah, that the Old Testament had promised would come one day? And so he'd been teaching all day. And this very first verse we read, they said that each went to their house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. As the day before wound down and we enter into this story, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And what can we infer that he was doing there? When you read throughout the, the New Testament, every time it's talking about Jesus in the Mount of Olives, he was going there to pray. So Jesus winds his last day up praying for what's about to happen. And wh why am I pausing to share this? Because I think we can learn something from the life of Jesus. How many of you guys got situations going on in your life right now you're facing, right? You don't have to throw your hands up there, but we all have things that we're facing in our life. The best way to prepare for tomorrow is to pray today. Jesus knew that people were questioning who he was. He knew he would come under attack. And so he went to spend time with the Father to gain his strength, to get the Father's perspective on his situation, something that we all need. And so he's a model for us in that. So then this morning, it says that he shows up again to teach people. And the temple at that time would have been like today's church. So it would have been very similar to how we're gathered here today. And, and as he gathered there, there was huge crowds. Now, I'm not going to make you all stand up, but what it mentions here is that he sat down. And, and the way it worked back then is actually it was the other way around. The teacher got to sit, and all of the students stood. And so there was huge crowds. Imagine if we were all standing right now, but, but, but way more people that are either gathered here. There was huge crowds gathered standing around Jesus, and Jesus was sitting up on a ledge to teach them. And in comes this woman, who it's never questioned, did she or did she not commit adultery? They say, no, this woman has committed adultery. And they bring her, the religious leaders, bring her before 
everyone. Imagine that for a moment. Imagine someone with, with some sin they would never want to share with everyone. Something deeply painful and embarrassing is brought in front of every single person. Imagine how she must have felt in that moment. You can imagine how she felt being so exposed and, and why is she being brought? Because people are threatening to kill her for her sin. Leviticus 20.10 says that if a man goes and commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, both of them shall be put to death. What's really weird, though, is where's the guy? There's no guy here. It's just they only bring the woman and, and the law, the book of Moses had taught, you know, no, you should bring both people. And, and before you think that the Old Testament was this, this just bloody time, there's, there's commentary that's written called the Mishnah. And they say that, that for this to happen like more than twice in every seven years would have been, would have been extreme bloodshed. And so it wasn't, it wasn't that every single time a sin happened that people were being put to death. In fact, there was a requirement in the law that two eyewitnesses had to have witnessed what happened. And so you had to be absolutely beyond a doubt, beyond a shadow of a doubt, guilty. And, and both parties should be put to death. So this just smells weird. This is just weird. How do they know? What are a bunch of religious leaders doing peeping through someone's window, right? I mean, it's just, it just, you know, they're trying to set Jesus up and the guy is not present. This is possibly a horrible thought, but what if it was one of them? We don't know. We don't know, but there's no guy and she's brought there. And that's the situation. These religious, religious leaders whose fame, whose fortune, whose way of life was being threatened by what Jesus was teaching are setting the situation up because they want to trap him. And it says it's the scribes and the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the, were the holy rollers. They were the ones that followed every little bit of the law and puffed themselves up because they tried to make sacrifice after sacrifice to look good. The scribes were those that would write about the law, the first five books of the Bible. We still have them in our Bible today. Genesis, Leviticus, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. I didn't say those in the right order, but those are the first five books in, in the Bible. And so they still had those. And, and what they were doing, which still happens today in churches, is they weren't just teaching. The scribes weren't just teaching on these first five books of the Bible. But what they were doing was they were adding things to it. They were making conditions that were never in those first five books of the Bible. And so they were putting a weight upon the people. And Jesus came to take those weights off. And so the setup is they're trying to trap Jesus. And they themselves are coming with this woman as the judge and the jury. And so Jesus is now stuck between two issues because they ask him, what are you going to do, Jesus? Right? And so he's stuck between the law of Moses. If someone's caught in adultery, they should be stoned and she should be killed. But Jesus has also been proclaiming and teaching about grace and compassion and so we find ourselves in this situation with Jesus. We're watching him where if he says, the mo let's, let's follow the law of Moses right now and we kill her, then all of a sudden, what type of Messiah is that? Here's the Messiah. Come to him and he will kill you, right? That's not, that's not a Messiah at all. He's fake. What type of deliverer is that? And on the other hand, if Jesus offers forgiveness and compassion to this woman and pardons her, they're going to accuse him of not upholding the law of Moses and no Messiah is going to show up and not uphold what God's word has said in the chapters before. And so it's really a brilliant 
trap where they're thinking, we got you, Jesus. There's no way you can hold these two things in tension. There's no way you can uphold this compassion and this grace and this mercy you've been preaching about. And at the same time, you can uphold that that God requires justice and and does not want sin amongst his people. Either he's going to be exposed as having no saving element in compassion or as one who doesn't uphold the law. And so that's the tension between compassion and justice and morality. So in verse 6, we start to see, well, how how is Jesus going to respond? How is he going to respond to this situation? Well, he, he gets down and he writes on the ground. And we don't know what he wrote. We know it's recorded for us. So somebody saw this. And, and it was part of what's happening. We can picture what's happening. Can you imagine how quiet the crowd must have got at that point when Jesus, rather than just replying verbally, he goes and he begins to just write in the sand. I'm sure people were leaning in to try to see what he was writing in the ground. Some people believe, we don't know what he wrote. Some people believe that he was writing the sins or even the names of the Pharisees and the scribes, and they were seeing their own sin, their own guilt, their own shame. We don't, we don't know what he wrote, and maybe it's not that important because it doesn't tell us what he wrote, but the first thing he does is he writes on the ground, and then he says to them, again, he says, he who is without sin, throw the first stone. He who is without sin, throw the first stone. Now, what he doesn't say is he does not say that she's not guilty. He also doesn't say that a stone shouldn't be thrown. Somehow this woman had committed adultery and it was known she committed adultery. And he he doesn't deny the law of Moses. He doesn't say that a, a stone shouldn't be thrown. And he doesn't say she's not guilty. He upholds justice, but he says, okay, well, he who is without sin, throw the first stone. And it's very important that we understand what Jesus is saying here because it gets misinterpreted and misused every day by Christians and non-Christians alike, by those that understand what these these words are supposed to mean or not. It's it's, it's one of the, the verses we most often misquote. He's not saying, which is what you often hear said, hey, don't judge me, you're a sinner too. Jesus is not saying that. He is not saying, you know, hey, nobody can judge me because you sin too. No, clearly she is judged. She did sin. It was wrong. That is not what Jesus is saying. What he is saying is that you religious leaders, you're disqualified to judge her. You're disqualified to be the judges and the jury. Why? Because this whole thing reveals the evil that's in your heart. It's a trap. You're trying to take me down. God doesn't want to add all these rules and ways to everyone else, and that's what you're doing, and I'm trying to free people from this religious system and oppression you've created, and you're just trying to rob people of getting close to God. And so, no, you're the ones that are disqualified as the judge and the jury. And we're the two witnesses. You're not following uh, the instructions as they're supposed to be followed. There's no man here. And so to paraphrase it, he's saying something like this. I don't deny the law of Moses, but by the law of Moses, I deny that you qualify to judge. I'm not saying the law of Moses isn't legit. It's not right. Instead, I'm pointing out that you guys are off. You guys are not legit. Your concern is not for her. 
or for justice. It's to kill me. So the very law that you're trying to appeal to is the one that I am appealing to. You are the lawbreaker. You are the ones who are not seeking to uphold the law. You are the ones who are in sin. Jesus sidesteps the question, and he puts these religious leaders on trial. All of a sudden now, they are on trial. And upon hearing it, they turn and they leave. The older ones, being wiser, more quickly realize, yeah, we're done here. And they, and they walk out. And the younger ones start to think, eh, no, it's not going anywhere. And they walk out. And everyone leaves. And he turns the question on them. And they see their intentions. They see how they're trying to abuse God's word. And then it says the woman and Jesus were alone. And they weren't quite alone because, remember, they were alone right here as if a woman was standing right here before me right now. But there was crowds all around. Imagine everyone watching as their religious leaders who have been falsely teaching them just exit. What's going to happen? It's just Jesus and this woman now. And he says to her, he says, did anyone condemn you? No, she says. And he says, then neither do I go and sin no more. Now, church, pay attention. Jesus doesn't let her off the hook. Jesus doesn't ignore her sin. Jesus doesn't give her a message without giving her any help. He shows compassion, but he tells her, don't sin anymore. And as, as, as you read this book, as we open up this book, it shows that Jesus is never soft on our sin. God never wants there to be just sin that we just let rampant in our life. Why? Because God loves us. And sin is nothing but us missing out on God's good for our life. And so Jesus says, I, I show you mercy, but go live differently. Jesus is never soft on sin. This is the essence of the gospel. He doesn't say that she's not guilty. He says that she needs to change her ways, but he also shows her grace and mercy. The gospel, in the gospel, we stand guilty. We stand convicted of our wrongdoings, of our messing up before God. We're the ones who should have stones thrown at us, but instead, we're the ones who should have a crown of thorns put on our head, but instead, Jesus is the one who goes to the cross for us and has the stones thrown at him. And he knew this. He knew he was going to die for her sins, for my sins, for your sins one day. He knew the cost of what he was offering her, that justice had to be executed. But that justice, he would be the one who would take the penalty for sins. He is the Lamb of God. And what does the Bible say the lambs were for? They were sacrificial animals. He offers her this beautiful offer of love. That's why Romans 8.1 tells us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus says, I will be condemned for you. I will give my life for you. And this is the gospel. So church, what do we do with this story? What do we do with this passage? What do we do with our mess? What do you do with your mess this morning? 
looking at Jesus and how he treated this woman and how he defeated those that sought to teach some sort of false religion, I think the answer is only one thing. We need to run to Jesus. We need to go to Jesus. He is a friend of sinners. Matthew 12 talks about Jesus. And it says, a bruised reed he will not break until he brings about justice and victory. Now, what is a bruised reed? A bruised reed is already tender. It's already weak. It's already delicate. Think of it like us having a bruised heart. If you've been through any amount of life, we all have bruised hearts. We all have uh, things that have happened. We all have difficult situations we've been in. We all have had mistakes that we've made. We all have had things that we've done that have brought pain and difficulty upon ourselves. And, and a lot, a lot of stuff that other people have just brought and put on our doorstep. We all carry brokenness. We all carry hurts and wounds. And this Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible is the one that came to that woman and comes to you and me today and says, I see your brokenness. I see what you're going through. I see the circumstances you're facing. I see the wounds. And I come to heal you. I come to give you life. I come to give you hope. And I'm going to uphold justice. All the things that are wrong that you've done, that others have done to you, one day, they will all be made right. And the way they've been made right is that I gave my life for that justice. I took the penalty, the weight of all of it. And I now offer you relationship with me. I offer you hope. I offer you new life. Take your sin. Take your mess. Give it to me and receive the life and the hope that I want to give to you. And then Jesus says, go and sin no more. Church, what is our sin gaining us. What is it gaining us? It's gaining us nothing. Our child right now is, is going through this phase called the terrible twos. I found out it's a real deal. <laughs> and all sorts of times he wants something, but I know it's not good for him. And then he'll throw himself down on the ground because he's not happy. And I just pick him up and I hold him and I ask him to tell me how he's feeling. And I say, let's try that again. Sometimes we try three times, it's okay. Church, there's deceptions. Right now there's sins that wanna take our eyes off of Jesus. It, it doesn't gain us anything. Let's sin no more through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, I, we see here that sexual sin is real. Any and all sex outside of marriage is hurtful to us. Why? Because the ultimate form of intimacy and relationship is marriage and sex inside of marriage. And that's why any sort of sex we pursue outside of marriage will never fulfill us. It will never, it'll always leave you longing for something else because it was meant to be the ultimate picture, the ultimate experience of intimacy, intimacy and oneness. So we see that God takes that serious too. And so church, I want you to know, Jesus wants us to know that he loves you so much. He gave his life for us. We are loved. We can be freed with no shame, no defeat. We can walk in obedience to the power of the Holy Spirit. So what I want to do this morning in closing is I want to invite all of us to go to Jesus in prayer.
If you've never heard about this Jesus that loves you, I want to invite you to receive him this morning simply by talking with him and inviting him to be your Lord, to accept his love. And for all of us to embrace him this morning and realizing his great love for us. Church, would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for this book that you've given us that leads us into truth, that leads us into righteousness. We thank you for your love for us, giving your life for us on the cross. And this morning, if there's anyone here that's never heard this message, Lord, I pray that, that right now they would talk with you and invite you to be their Lord, invite you to be their Savior, open their heart to you. Jesus, we pray that you would help us as your church to walk in this perfect love. We pray all these things in your name. And everyone at Grace said, amen and amen. Thank you, church.